I want to start uh, this morning uh, with, a, uh, with a, an image from the book of Isaiah. Uh, and this is Isaiah chapter 25 and starting in verse 6. Isaiah wrote, wrote about 700 years before Christ. So this is long before uh, the Jesus and, and the, the time in Luke 13 that we just read about. Uh, and, and here's the image. And here's what, what, uh, what Isaiah saw as, as a, a vision, a prophecy of the future. He said this, On this mountain, the Lord of armies will prepare for all the peoples a feast of choice meat, a feast with aged wine, prime cuts of choice meat, fine vintage wine. On this mountain, he will swallow up the burial shroud, the shroud over all the peoples, the sheet covering all the nations. When he has swallowed up death once and for all, the Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth, for the Lord has spoken. This, this prophecy, this vision that Isaiah saw, it's of a feast, right? A feast, a fine feast, right? Choice meat, fine vintage wine, it says. And this is a feast that the Lord himself gives. The Lord puts on a feast, right? Well, who's it for? It says, it prepare a feast for all the peoples. All the peoples, not just Israel, God's chosen people in the Old Testament, but, but all peoples, all nations will come to this feast. And where will it be? It says, on this mountain, on this mountain, which if you have a footnote there, probably says Mount Zion, right? This is Jerusalem, Mount Zion, the city of David. This is where God will prepare this feast for all the peoples. And this image shapes the, the, the Hebrew mind. It shapes the, the New Testament uh, thought. And it's, it's part of the background of, of this image that Jesus uses in our passage today. In the first verse in 1322 of our passage, it says, he went through one town and village after another, teaching and making his way to Jerusalem. Right? Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. And uh, t- today we're gonna, we're gonna walk with him, journey with him uh, to Jerusalem, see, hear what happens at Jerusalem, what his thoughts are on Jerusalem, and, and then ask, what, are we heading to Jerusalem? Let's take a moment and pray. Uh, we'll, we'll dive in. Take a moment just where you are in your seat and, and would you ask God to, to open your heart to what he wants to say today? Would you also say a prayer for me and that I would be faithful to God's word and I would be helpful to you? Father, you know our need. You know my need. You know that I have nothing to offer. And so Lord, I pray that uh, today whatever comes from me would be uh, not heard, would be forgotten. And Lord, but anything that comes from you, anything that you speak to us through your word, would you plant that deep in our hearts and would it bear fruit in this life and the one to come? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In Luke 9, 51, we learned uh, there was a shift in the book of Luke and it said that Jesus set his face, he determined to go to Jerusalem. And so since that time, uh, we've been tracking his journey. This, this section of Luke is the journey to 
Jerusalem. Um, and Jesus knows where he's going. He knows why he came. Uh, and, and he knows what's going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem. If you look at, at 31, some Pharisees come and, and say, get out of here. Jesus, Herod wants to kill you. Um, and, and we don't know what kind of motives they had, good or bad, but, but they come and they, they tell him this. And he says to them, go tell that fox. Right? He's not, he's not, uh, uh, Jesus is not a fan of Herod. Uh, Herod is, a, is an evil ruler. He's killed John the Baptist. He beheaded John the Baptist earlier, Jesus' cousin. And he says, look, I'm driving out demons and performing healings today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will complete my work. Yet it's necessary that I travel today, tomorrow, and the next day because it's not possible for a prophet to perish outside of Jerusalem. Jesus says here, and, and he says, tell Herod, I got my own timeline. Right? I'll, I'll be healing. I'll be casting out demons today and tomorrow. Right? And, and, and I got to get to Jerusalem. I am going there. Right? I'm going to Jerusalem because that's where prophets die. Right? He knows he will go to Jerusalem. He knows that he will die there. He knows that on the third day, he will finish his work and he will rise from the dead. Right? This is why he came. This is what he says he came to do and, and, and it's what he is doing. He knows where he's going. And, and when he's on his way, you know, someone asks him, someone has a question, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Are only a few people going to be saved? Now, this question was probably provoked by, uh, by his teaching, by Jesus' teaching, which we've been seeing, haven't we? We've, we've seen him, he's been teaching a lot on judgment, a lot on, hey, be ready for the master's return. Hey, are you, when are you gonna, so you gotta settle with your accuser before they take you to the judge and you get thrown in jail. Hey, are you, when are you gonna bear fruit? Are you gonna bear fruit before you're cut down like a fig tree? And, and so maybe that provoked this question, are only a few gonna be saved? In the background of this is the, the, the common uh, teaching of rabbis at this time that if you were a Jewish person, if you were an Israelite, um, then you would be saved. You were part of God's people. You would, you would be brought in. You would be saved at, at the end. You would be at the feast in, in Zion, right? You would be uh, one of those people brought in unless you were, you know, there were some exceptions, really evil people. But man, everyone in Israel would be saved, and Jesus is going to address some of these things in his answer. He said to them, verse 24, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because I tell you, many will try to enter and won't be able once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door. Then you will stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up for us. He will answer you, I don't know you or where you're from. And you will say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know you or where you're from. Get away from me, all you evildoers. He says, enter, make every effort, right, to enter through the narrow door. What does he mean narrow door? What is this, what is this image of? Well, this isn't the only place that Jesus uses this, this image. He, he used it over in Matthew and he expands on it a little bit more. He says, enter, verse, uh, Matthew seven thirteen. enter through the narrow gate. That word gate and door is the same Greek word. Enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate? How difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. So Jesus is laying out that there's two ways here. There's two ways. There's a narrow way that leads to life. There's a broad way that leads to destruction. 
Right? And you can see this as, as you know, the two roads. You can say there's a narrow way, there's a, there's a, you know, a dirt road in the Arkansas wilderness, you know, and there's a, an eight-lane highway, a broad way. Right? And, and this one leads to life and this one leads to destruction. And, and he says, make every effort to enter the narrow gate, right? Here's the thing about, uh, you know, uh, Arkansas dirt road in the country. You have to try to be on it, don't you? <laughs> you don't accidentally get there. You don't accidentally go through a narrow door. No, no, you have to be, you have to be intentional about it. It's not an accident. You can't drift on, into the narrow door. You can't drift into life. Or if you're gonna drive down a dirt road in Arkansas, you gotta make a plan, know where it is, go for it, right? Drive through it, right? But Broadway, you can, just, you can just drive. If you have a Tesla, you can take a nap. Like, you can just go on that. Right? You don't have to look for that. It's, it's there, it's everywhere. So he says, make every effort. So that's not an accident that you get to life. I think this also gets at the exclusivity of Christ. Right? And this is something that, that people who, who aren't Christians sometimes bristle at. That you'd say, there's only one way? There's only one way to heaven? And they say, yeah. Right? There, there are a thousand roads to hell. There's one road to heaven. Right? And this door being narrow I, I, I doesn't mean God's trying to keep people out of it. No, no, no. He's just, he's explaining the reality of it. Everyone can fit through this narrow door. There's room for everyone, right? But, but the point is, you can't just, you, you can't just uh, coast and get there, right? You, you can't just accidentally find your way into life. No, no, no. You have to make a decision. There's a stark decision. I'm not going this way, and I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go with, with the Lord. There's a stark and radical decision. It has to be made. And there's limited time. What does he say? Many will try to enter and won't be able once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door. There's an image of this feast, right? This, this feast, the banquet in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says there, there's gonna be a time when the homeowner gets up and shuts the door and no one else can get in. There's limited time. And, and, and he says, and I, I just have to, like, I don't enjoy preaching this <laughs> at all, uh, but he, he just says you're gonna regret it if you miss out. You're, that's, like, look, once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door, 25, then you will stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up for us. He will answer you, I don't know you or where you're from. And you'll say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. He's talking to this crowd. He's going, you're gonna say to me, Lord, I was there when you, when you preached that sermon. I saw you. I saw you teach. Don't you remember you were in my town? But, but he will say, I tell you, I don't know who you are or where you're from. Get away from me, all you evildoers. Right? He's saying, if you don't respond to me now, if you don't respond to me in faith, if you don't repent, turn from your sin, turn to God, It'll be too late and you'll regret it. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place. There'll be anger and rage, sadness, because you didn't respond when you had the chance. He says here, proximity doesn't save you. Right? It's, it's not just it, what, being in that room with Jesus, that didn't save you. That didn't save those people. 
Right, he says uh, identity, their identity as Israelites doesn't save them, right? You'll, there'll be waving and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves thrown out. He's saying, yeah, the patriarchs will be there, but you won't because you won't respond to me. I think there's a mythology in the Bible Belt and there's a story that, that we tell ourselves because we have some religious heritage. There's a lot of churches, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of our parents were in churches, a lot of our grandparents were in churches. And, and I think the, the story goes like this. Man, I'm a good person. I work hard. I do my best for my family. You know, I, man, I know about Jesus. I go to church sometimes. I really try my best. And so God won't send me to hell. I mean, I'm, a good, I'm a good guy. I'm a good girl. Like, I, I, got, I got it. I, I, like I'm, not a, I'm not a murderer or something. But listen, proximity to Jesus doesn't save you. Proximity to, the, the, to God and to church, the things of God, coming to church, giving your time, your money, giving your energy, knowing, uh, you know, having a, a religious family, parents who are Christians and grandparents who are Christians, uh, you know, none of that saves you. None of that gets you in. None of that makes you enter through the narrow door. I think some people think just ident their identity, just saying, I'm a, I'm a good, religious, hardworking American. So God will let me in. Right? Uh, even, even identifying as a Christian, saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, you'd say that. That, that doesn't save you. Right? There's only one door. There's only one door, and that's Jesus. <laughs> right? the, the one who is heading to Jerusalem to die. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's not about your performance, your activity, your identity, right? It's not about what you can do. That, that's just plain old work salvation. It's plain old, I, because of who I am and what I've done, God will accept me and love me, right? And it's, it's a lie. It's a myth that you could be good enough for God to accept you. You can't. It's about entering through the narrow door. It's about receiving the gift of God in Christ. I'll talk about that more in, in a minute. Let's get back to Jerusalem. And I, I wanna see, I want you to see Jesus' heart, right? His heart for, for this people and this city. In 34, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Are you here, the double Jerusalem? Just like he said earlier, Martha, Martha. He's, he's conveying love. Right? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He's, he's calling out to them. He says, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. My, my wife and I just got chickens. Um, and so we have little chicks right now. And they are very, uh, they're very fragile you have to keep them the right temperature or they die. You have to clean them every day or they die. You have to keep their food and water clean or they die. Or you do everything or they die. There's just, they're just these fragile 
little birds. And just look at this, look at the imagery. How often, Jesus, I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing. I just wanted to protect you. Jerusalem, I just want to keep you safe and warm. I just, I, I just don't want anything to happen to you. Won't you, won't you come to me? But, but they're not willing. Not willing. He says, how often? He's, he's speaking, Jesus is speaking as God, isn't he? How often I wanted to. I've, I've sent you prophets. I've sent, how many times have I sent you prophets in my word? How often have I told you what you needed to know and yet you rejected me and you killed the prophets? And he says in 35C, your house is abandoned to you. He knows what's happening. He knows where he's going. He knows that he'll be rejected there. And he says, it's too late. Your house is abandoned. And the house was abandoned, right? Jesus did go to Jerusalem. He did come in. The the Lord himself came into his temple. And what happened? They rejected him. They crucified him. And the, the, the veil of the temple was torn in two and God's presence left. In eighty seventy, the temple was raised, destroyed. And Jerusalem was abandoned. But not forever. But not forever. The end of 35 says, I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is talking about the end. It's talking about when Jesus comes back. Um, and commentators are kind of split. Some think this is just saying, yeah, when, when I come back, you're gonna, you, every knee will bow and tongue will confess. You're gonna have to confess that I'm Lord. Um, but some think there's a tinge of hope. And I think there is. I think there's a tinge of hope here. Because that, that quote, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is from Psalm, eight, Psalm 118. Right, which is one of the Psalms, you can read it, that says over and over what? His steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. Jerusalem is abandoned, but not forever. Because when, when the, the veil of the temple was torn into, right, God's presence did leave, and, and God's presence didn't dwell, it does not dwell in the temple any longer, like the physical temple, it's not there. Where is God's presence though? Did he leave? Did he abandon his people? No, he didn't. What what does the New Testament say? We are the temple. Our very bodies and our very body collectively. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. He dwells with his people here. Right, and and, and so he has not left his people, right? And and we are not abandoned. And it won't be forever. And, And the vision uh, of Isaiah, the vision of the feast, right? The feast at the end of time where, where God prepares the feast on Mount Zion. It's the same vision of John, the last book of the, of the Bible in Revelation. He says this in, in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. There's Jerusalem. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. He will live with them. They will be his peoples. God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. He also said, write, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things. I will be his God. He will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the final fulfillment for Jerusalem and for us and for all humanity. The, the, The new Jerusalem will come down from heaven out of God. God will be with us. He will dwell with us, his people. And we will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. And he will come in, in, in glory and welcome his children in and he will put his enemies out forever. There's one command in our passage. Um, there's, there's only one, one command, I, I believe. And it's this, make every effort, verse 24, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. And I, I just think it's very important to be clear about this. Right? How, how do you enter through the narrow door? How do you, how do you make sure you're, you will be in Jerusalem in the last day? It's not proximity. It's not just being around the church. It's not identity. It's not just, you know, who you are or your lineage. It's not activity. It's not what you do, what you can earn. It's receiving the gift of Jesus and it's entering into his story. Because each of us, right, each of you was created by God. Like a personal God. Like you are not, uh, you're not random, uh, uh, you know, uh, you're not, you're not the, the result of random accident in a meaningless universe. Right? You're not an accident, no matter what your parents told you. Right? God made you. A personal God, he made you. And he made you for himself. He made you to love him and honor him and glorify him. And what did you do? What did I do? We rebelled, didn't we? We didn't, we didn't do things for him. We did things for us. We didn't do things that loved others. We, we manipulate others for our own advantage. We follow our own passions and pleasures. We are liars. We are sexually immoral. We are, you know, we, we steal. We cheat. We've all rebelled. We've all sinned. And so what we deserve is, is punishment, is hell, is separation from God. It's just, it's just, I mean, that's what the Bible says. It's, so it's true, but, but it's also just natural, isn't it? What, what, what do you think we should deserve? If God made you for himself and you just spit in his face over and over and over and over, what do you think he's gonna do? Okay, I'll give you what you want. No, you can't be with me. But Jesus, right, it says, God, because of the great love with which he loved us, God loved the world 
in this way that he sent his only son and Jesus came into the world. He lived a real human life, a perfect life, a life that pleased the father and he was executed. And on the cross, the most, the most amazing thing happened, the thing that, that if anyone tells you they could understand it, the atonement <laughs> completely, they can't, right? How does this work? But somehow, right, he died in our place. We were criminals, we should die, but he took all of our sin on himself and it crushed him. And he went to the grave. And then three days later, he got up from the grave because he defeated death. And in that, in that moment, right, in his death and his resurrection, not only did he take our evil, our rebellion, pay for it, it's done, but he gives us his perfection, his goodness, his righteousness. We receive that. And, and he says, right, how do you respond? So how do you go through the gate? That's true. How do you go through the narrow door? He says to Repent. Right, repentance and faith. You would think it would be like, you gotta do all these things. You gotta, not, you gotta pray this many times a day. You gotta do this many good deeds. You gotta give this much money, right? You'd think it would be like, like Islam, like the pillars, you know? You gotta do these things. And if you get, rack up enough points, maybe I'll let you in and consider you. But that's not what he says. He says, all you have to do is admit, I can't do it. I, I've rebelled against you and I need you. And you trust him. You throw yourself on his mercy. Say, I can never be good enough for you. you know, the things I've done. Right? And it's not a, ma- it's not a, a, a magic uh, you know, incantation. It's not like a formula. It's, it's a personal interaction. God is a person. He's here with us right now. And so when you, when you it's, it's not like you say the right words and you get the magic dust and you're saved. No, no, you just go, you just have an interaction with him, with this person, like you'd have an interaction with anyone else. And you say, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. And he does forgive you. And you can be clean of all that you've done. And then we walk with Jesus, don't we? That leads us to, what, to, to say with Paul, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. I walk on that narrow way. How, what else would we do? <laughs> right? If he did this for us, what, what else could we do but give him everything, give him our lives? And we walk with him until we die or until he returns. And then we feast. We feast on Mount Zion because on that mountain, the Lord of armies will prepare a feast. A feast for all the peoples. Right? And, and, and on this mountain, he will swallow up the burial shroud, the, the shroud over all the peoples, the, the sheet covering all the nations. What is this? Death. Right? When he has swallowed up death, once for all, the Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face. And he will remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth. For the Lord has spoken. Let's pray. As we sit here for a moment, just I want to give you a moment to respond to the Lord. I don't know what he's doing in your heart.
maybe you're here and, and you've, you've been in church your whole life, but you, you've just realized uh, that you, you thought that your identity, you thought that your goodness, you thought that who you are and what you do makes you right before God and you've maybe never had that personal interaction with Jesus. You can. And we've got prayer team in the back. If you'd like to pray with someone, go back and talk to them. Go back and pray with them. Maybe you're here and, and you honestly just couldn't care less about God. <laughs> it's just not something you think about, want to think about. And you know what? I can't convince you. <laughs> I can't. But I do love you. And, and I can only pray, and I, I do pray that God would break through to your heart and your mind. And if something happens in you in the next few minutes that you can't explain, then leave, leave the opportunity that it might be the Holy Spirit in your heart. Maybe you're here and you, just, you want him. You want to be clean. <laughs> you, you, and you might wonder, is, is, could this even be true for me? I, I don't, just don't know that this invitation really counts for me. But there's a, there's a great word in, in John 3, 16. It says, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, is that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And listen, that whoever is you. Right? If God can save me, <laughs> he can save you. Let's go back and talk to one of the, one of the people in the back. I'd love to, to pray with you and lead you in that. Father, however you're working in this room, we, we just, uh, we submit to you. God, I, I beg you that none of us None of the people hearing, hearing these words um, would get to the end and would be the ones who are left out and the door is shut and who are saying, let me in, Lord. God, don't let us rely on ourselves. Do not let us rely on our performance, on being a good Christian person, <laughs> on anything except you and you alone. Lord, we only need you. break through into each of our hearts. Pour your love into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. We, we ask you to do this. What we've seen in, in recent weeks, uh, awakening and outpouring in our, in our country in different places. Would you do that here? Would you pour out your spirit so that we know your love, so we share your love, that were changed. We ask this in Jesus' name.